0: Hi everybody, so good to see you. I'm glad that you're here today. Uh, I think Mother Nature has gone off her medication again because we're now in the 30s, and oh my goodness! So, um, but you are the hardcore, you have braved the cold, although it's sunny, which is good, and I'm glad that you're here. Um, so, for the last about six months or so, uh, Thrive Church has been trying to find some additional space. We were very happy meeting here at at Cedar Ridge. Uh, The school district's been very good to us. Uh, But what we're finding is that we've grown to a point where we need additional space Monday through Saturday to handle some of those uh, other ministries. And uh, we had a, a great little place, downtown Broken Arrow, and we were kind of excited because it was right around the corner from the gelato shop. So I'm just, you know, straight up honest about that one. We were a little, maybe a little too excited about that. But uh, it was there. And um, we uh, started the renovation process only to find asbestos. <clears throat> so we uh, ended up parting company with our landlord at that point <clears throat> and And... Uh, Then the holidays hit, and we were kind of busy with all of that. And so at the first of the year, we were back in the market uh, trying to find some space because uh, our, our leadership team every Monday at staff meeting was like, hey, could we maybe look for some more space because we kind of have outgrown our current homes. And uh, you can only f- cram so many people into a house before it starts getting uncomfortable. And um, so uh, we were, were looking and we found several possibilities that we're you know, pretty excited about. Because let me tell you, trying you would think in a city the size of Tulsa, that would be an easy thing. Yes, but not South Tulsa. I'm just going to be honest about that. There's, it's been a real challenge for us to find some space that, that we could actually use. Now, here's the thing. During that entire process, um, you know, all of the real estate education aside, the whole thing has really highlighted for me um, how we seek and how we receive guidance from God. Now I want you to think about this with me because because as disciples, as followers of Jesus, one of the things that we presume is that God actually guides us. And we try to practice that, but how often have we actually sat back and tried to think our way through and try to learn how is it that God actually guides us? Does this make sense? I mean, it's, I think it's a great question for us to do that because I think what happens for a lot of us, and I don't care how long you've been a follower of Jesus, whether you've just started on this journey or if you've, if you've been walking with him you know, your entire life, whatever it happens to be, there comes these moments, these points in time where, um, to be honest, You pray and you hope, but really it feels like you're rolling the spiritual dice, right? And maybe if I get boxcars, God's going to show up in a big way and, and everything's going to work out fine. Are you with me on that? Is that resonating with anybody else? Because it's not all the time, but there are moments where I just feel like I have no idea how I'm asking for guidance here or how I'm going to receive it. And and so we use other words like, oh, God, please raise up resources. That's asking for guidance. God, please show me. Please reveal to me. And we come up with all these, these other words, but ultimately what we're saying is, God, I need you to guide me in this. And depending on your circumstances, there's a certain amount of urgency to it, right? And we all go through that piece. And so my, my, my job today, I think, is to help us explore and maybe gain some insight into how God advises and counsels each of us, two other words for guidance, by the way, um, and, and so that as we're followers of Jesus, that we're not... Ignorant to how he operates. Okay, now I'm I'm not making uh, a dogmatic claim. I am just exploring something and, and showing how how God may operate. Okay, so that's what we're going to do. And to do that, we're going to return back to um, the road to Emmaus back in Luke chapter 24. And so, if you have a Bible, uh, turn there. Or if you have a Bible app, you can plug it in. We're going to start in verse 13. We're going to read through it one more time, and I'll make a couple of little comments as we go along, and then I'm going to offer some thoughts at the end, okay? So that's what we're up to today. So Luke chapter 24 is where we are. Now, the, the, that same day, meaning the same day that um, the women went to the tomb and found it empty, right? We talked about that at Resurrection Sunday a couple weeks ago. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles, or two hours, walk from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Now we don't know the reason for the journey. Uh, It's not important to Luke, and so he doesn't mention it. We just have two disciples who who are heading in that direction. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And I I love this, this idea, they stood still. It stopped them in their tracks and their faces were downcast. If you've ever been to a funeral and you have the um, kind of the reception afterwards, uh, very often you'll hear this ebb and flow. I've, I've been to a number of these. Um, where you'll hear people kind of laughing and joking because of the remembering some good times. And then it's like all of a sudden the entire room remembers why they're there. And it gets real quiet, right? That's what's happening here. They stood still. It kind of stopped them in the tracks. What are you guys talking about? And it stopped them, and their faces are downcast. And I think that's a you know, really in, insightful um, thing. And then... Um, one of them named Cleopas, who we think is a relative of Joseph, um, Jesus' earthly earthly father, asked him, "Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know these things that have happened there in these days?" And I love Jesus' question. What things? Talk about baiting, right? What things are you talking about? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, "He was a prophet." they went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said but they did not see Jesus can you imagine the emotion of this remember we've read this I don't know a few hundred times um, over our lifetime but these are the people who are experiencing it for the first time can you imagine the emotions that they were feeling how would you feel there's a good chance that they would feel that same way. There's a lot of confusion here because this is new. This is not something that people had, they had seen before. And so they're trying to make sense of it as best as they possibly can. <clears throat> now, he said to them, how foolish you are. Talking about Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things? And then enter his glory. And I love this. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. What an amazing moment that would have been, right? To have somebody open that up, up to them. It's kind of a funny, surprising response. <clears throat> as they approached the village of Emmaus to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was uh, at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. I just got to say, that would have been so cool. <laughs> it just would have been an awesome thing to, to actually witness, to experience. Now, there's no indication that these two brothers were at the Last Supper. Okay? There's nothing in the text that says that. But I find it so amazing, so beautiful, that Jesus still uses that simple act of breaking bread to reveal, him, reveal himself. And it strikes me that every time we do communion, it's the same thing. He's revealing himself. He's revealing himself. Interesting thought. Now... Uh, um, or I should stop and I should say that this is what we talked about last week, is that they changed their plans. They actually turned around and went back to Jerusalem. So another two-hour walk, and what they did is they shared the story, and we talked about this last week, how important it is for us to share the story. In the fledgling moments of the early church right here, this was an exceptionally pivotal moment Because all of these things were beginning to occur about this risen risen Jesus. And and those disciples, those 11 who had spent that time, needed to hear this. But I want you to know what Luke is doing here. Luke is employing a certain amount of literary um, savvy. He's a very sophisticated author. So think about this. Remember, Jesus dies on the cross, his disciples, including this group of women, see that occur. His body is taken down off of the cross and placed in the tomb. And Luke is very specific. He wants us to know that this group of women actually saw the tomb and the fact that his body was laid to rest there. And so when they returned a few days later to do what they were tasked to do and Uh, they arrived, that same tomb was empty, and instead they were met with angelic beings who said he's not here. In fact, that great phrase, why do you search for the living among the dead? Okay, then we have this story where Jesus actually appears. Now remember, since his death, he's not appeared, so he appears here. And what I find so fascinating is in the very next verse... This is verse 35, so in verse 36, all of these people are gathered together. These two disciples, Cleopas and his companion, are telling the story, and Jesus shows up. There is a crescendo of activity that's going on at the end of this book. This is Luke building us up for something truly extraordinary. And Jesus spends time with his disciples, and right at the very end of all of this, he is dramatically taken up into heaven. Oh my gosh, that is ready-for-Hollywood type of movie stuff, right? There's this movement that's going on in the text. This is going somewhere, and Luke is trying to get us there by showing this little bits at a time, little bits at a time, and it's getting bigger, and it's getting bigger, and all of a sudden, boom, there it is. Jesus is in the room with them. It's fascinating. It's a beautiful story. And it ends with this dramatic uh, ascent into heaven. Now, um, (laughs) let's go back to our original kind of question. How might all of this... Help us better follow God to be better disciples um, when we ask for um, or when we ask for divine guidance how is it that God might give it to us and, and what I want to suggest to you is there, there's a couple of common approaches to asking for guidance and see if this resonates with you a little bit um, the first one uh, the first approach is what I would I would call um, having a destination already in mind. For those of you who like Seven Habits and Stephen Covey, this is begin with the end of mind, right? So what often happens is, is that we have a certain idea in our mind, and we want to pursue that idea. And when we pray for guidance, what we're really asking for is, God, help, God help us get there. Help us get to that destination. Help us to find that outcome, right? That's really what we're asking. We're beginning with that destination in mind. This is what I'm after. God, I want you to bless this. And so I'm going to ask for guidance to get there. Um, and, and we pursue it hard, and we hope that God is there at the end with us going, hum, 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 and we get all the blessing, right? That, that's what we're really looking for. And, and this is a legitimate thing because, remember, there's that passage in Proverbs, chapter 16, that says, uh, commit your... Um, uh, your way, the things that you're doing to God, and he will establish your plans. Have you heard this verse before? This is a common proverb that's, and that's exactly what's happening here, is that you've got some plans, you're going after it, and you're asking for God to, to bless that. Now, presumably, you're, you're not doing anything that's, you know, contrary to the will of God, or sinful, or something like that. But the point is, is that we start with that end in mind. And again, it's a legitimate response. <clears throat> and so I was thinking about this in, um, in relation to our search for some space and we could have done this a, a number of times uh, we had three or four opportunities that we could have, we could have gone after and uh, s- spent a lot of money and spent a lot of time and energy trying to get something to work for us and God may or may not have blessed it I don't know But that's something that we could have forced our way into it. But I want you to notice something from the story. I want you to go back to the road to Emmaus. We begin with the destination of mind, but Jesus didn't show up at the end. Now, he was there, of course, but that's not when he entered the scene. Did you notice that? It wasn't there in Emmaus that he enters and walks in the room and says, Hey guys, how are you? What are you talking about? That's not when it happened, not at the destination. And so we need to keep that in mind. You know, he's there, but that's not when he entered the scene. So Jesus didn't show up at the end. Here's the other approach the other approach is to wait for direction. And I've known people who have done this, uh, and I I think it's great. But um, what they do is they're not going to do or move or act until they hear directly from God. If you want the biblical answer, this is the burning bush methodology. How many of you would feel a lot more comfortable pursuing a certain activity if you got a burning bush moment? Come on, be honest, right? Yes! Funny how that only happened once in history, right? But still we look for it. You know, we, we, we go after that hoping that we find that. If you want the more crass one, it's a kick in the pants methodology. You wait for God to give you a boot to, to move in a particular direction. And frankly, it's legitimate to hold off until you hear something. Don't get me wrong. I think that this is a a fairly decent policy for us to have. But unfortunately, life doesn't always work that way. Sometimes your circumstances demand that you act. And I was thinking about this because, you know, in many respects, as a a church, we could have just kind of sat back and said, okay, God, you're going to drop it into our lap, whatever that space is for us. But the pressure on our ministries um, was mounting to the point where if we didn't do something, if we didn't continue to do that, we would have killed any kind of momentum that we would have created as a church. And so we knew that we had to go into the marketplace and continue to look. But here's the other thing, and this is the one I want you to notice. In the story itself, notice this, that Jesus wasn't there at the beginning of the journey. He didn't start with the disciples in Jerusalem, did he? He wasn't the one who said, hey, let's go to Emmaus. He wasn't there. And I think that's, that's important because life often doesn't allow us to sit and wait for enlightenment. In fact, I'm going to point this out. Not always, but many times, most of the time, with Throughout the entire scriptures, when God actually motivates somebody to do something, it is almost always a disruption. In fact, if you read about the Old Testament prophets, the term that's used is the word of the Lord overcame the prophet. In other words, it completely disrupted their lives. If you read the book of Amos, Amos is angry that he has to actually go and go talk to these kings. He's a farmer. He'd rather be doing his farming thing. He had no desire to be a prophet. And yet the word of the Lord overtook him and he had to go and do this. It was a disruption. God caused him to move. There's Moses, backside of the desert, burning bush. Go to Egypt, right? And what does he do? He makes every excuse in the book. This is a disruption. So keep that in mind. Not always, but most of the time, what we find in the Scripture is that when God kicks us in the britches to get us to move, it's almost always a disruption. It's always something that they didn't expect. And here's what I want us to see. This is the thing. If you don't remember anything that I said today, when you walk out the door, here's the thing I want you to remember. That ultimately God guides us on the way. Because remember, they're on the journey, they're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and as they're walking, that's when Jesus shows up and says, Hey, what are you talking about? It's not at the beginning. It's not at the end. It's somewhere in the middle, somewhere in, in the process of actually moving. And, and sometimes God is at the end, and sometimes God is at the beginning, but usually it's as we travel that God shows up. It's in the action. It's during the movement. And I wonder to myself, why is that? Why might it be such that God would meet us on the road, as it were? Here's my answer. It's the only one I can think of at the moment. It's relational. To to have God guide you on the road is relational. You have to be in relationship with God. Because if you think about it, you've got two disciples. They're walking along, doing their, their thing, talking about the events of the day. And somebody walks up and says, hey, what are you talking about? They could have ignored him. They could have kept right on walking. But they didn't. They had a conversation. And a conversation means that a relationship is beginning. The way of God is always relational. I can't think of a time when it's not. It's a partnership. It's a collaboration. I don't understand it because he certainly doesn't need us, and yet he works through human activity every single time. Usually starts with prayer, but he usually shows up as you're moving, as you're acting. And so we move he guides. We move. He guides. We move. He guides. And it's this relational thing. It's like a dance. And we continually do this with God. So my question is, what about you this morning? Where, where are you with all of this? Think about this. You know, maybe you're starting something where you have a destination in mind. And you're asking God to guide and bless you wherever that happens to be. So here's my question. Are you open to surprises? Because I'm telling you, life with God is full of them. You're just happy staying in Wisconsin, and then he moves you to Oklahoma. Okay? You can be somewhere else, too. My life uh, with Jesus has been kind of a challenge. Has it been worth it? Of course it has. Is it better? Yes. Has it been a royal pain in the neck in the process? Often, right? Right? But that's just kind of the way these things are. And so do you have a decision to make? Do you have action that you know you need to to do? And do you have this destination in mind? Or maybe what you're doing is you're just waiting. You're waiting around, waiting for some motivation. So my question is, can you start walking? I remember I had a couple of options um, a few years ago. And I was trying to decide what I was going to do. Some big kind of career choices. And I had a pastor friend of mine. He says, can you walk all of these paths at the same time for as long as you can. And I thought, what a great idea because they're all kind of heading in the same direction. And slowly but surely, certain options fell off and it became much more clear. Why? Because Jesus meets us on the road. You actually have to start walking those paths in order to hear what he has to say. And maybe this morning you're on the road. Maybe there's action you are taking. Maybe there's something you are doing. And so my question for you is, where might Jesus be at work? Where might he be guiding you? And it's not always comfortable. In fact, I found that it's rarely comfortable. But that's where the growth really is. That's when my relationship with with Jesus actually grows, when things get rough, when they get uncomfortable when I get a stone in my shoe, right? That happens. Mm. So I don't know where you are today, but um, lately I've been finding myself with my stool back in the back corner, and uh, I would love to pray with you if you've got something like this going on. Maybe it's a decision that you feel like you have to make and you're looking for some guidance. I would love to pray with you about that. Um... I don't have any answers, but I know the one who does, and I know the one who wants to walk with you, and I would love to help facilitate that in some way. So think about this in your own life. I don't know where you are, but I trust that the Holy Spirit does. Action to take, decision that you have to make, I don't know. Most of us have that, not just once in a lifetime, but you know, once every hour or once every minute, right? There's always things that we can do. You know, it strikes me that we often talk about saying yes to God um, when people first become followers of Jesus. But the truth of the matter is, it's never just one yes. It's a thousand yeses every single day. Am I going to choose to love? Am I going to choose to follow Jesus in this particular moment? Because I know me pretty well, and I know that there are times I don't want to follow Jesus. But that's why he walks with us on the road. We stay in relationship.